0: We are going through the uh, book of Genesis, verse by verse, and we are now in chapter 6. It's been a fascinating study. Uh, the series has been, is titled, In the Beginning, God. And we learned, we looked at detail at how God created the universe in all his uh, omnipotence, and all his sovereign power. God spoke and the universe was formed. In the beginning, God created time, space, and matter. Now in chapter 6, we learned last week, we are about 1,600 years into human history. 1,600 years that man has been on the earth. And the problem, the wickedness of man is great. And uh, the, the time has come when... Uh, God is going to bring judgment on the earth because of the wickedness of man, and he 's going to do so in a flood. And today uh, the title of the message is "The Flood of Noah," part one, and uh, we 'll look at this for uh, the next uh, few weeks. Uh, and uh, find your way to Genesis six, and we 're going to pick up uh, right where we left off, actually backing up just a couple of verses in verse 11. 6:11, if you 're there, put your finger on it and look at me and give me a big amen. Are you there? Yeah? Let's read. Uh, The earth was also corrupt before God. Corrupt, spoiled, sinful, wicked, uh, polluted. Uh, Not what God designed it to be. Uh, The earth was also corrupt before God. Adam and Eve had sinned and fallen from God. And now in 1600 years, the earth had become incredibly corrupt. Uh, Don't think of a small earth. We looked last week, and the population of man was probably greater than the world has today. Uh, If you missed that, you can go back and listen to last week's talk. Uh, uh, The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Um, Tragic. I look at the earth today and how it is filled with violence. This week, as I was preparing this message Uh, I got a text from a friend, a member of the church, urgent prayer, please pray. 15-year-old is missing, 15-year-old girl. They've gone online, gone on her computer, and they now learn she was being groomed, and now she has disappeared. And I'm reading this passage, and I'm just reminded, oh my gosh, we're living in the days of Noah. The earth was filled with violence, violence that breaks God's heart. And so God looked upon the earth, And indeed, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All flesh, all men. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Here we see something. uh, uh, We see something that we really rather not see. uh, We see that God does indeed bring judgment. Many today have the wrong idea about God. Uh, Many today view God as a fluffy teddy bear kind of God, uh, a God that we can neglect year after year after year. And uh, just leave as like a teddy bear in the closet or underneath the bed. And then when we need comfort, we can pull that teddy bear out and God will be there to comfort us. And that is just simply not the case. Mankind today seems to think that if God does exist, he exists solely to help us. uh, That God is kind of our servant. Can I tell you something? That is bogus theology. That is not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we have things turned around that we exist for the glory of God, not God for our glory. We exist for the glory of God, not vice versa. And the Bible teaches that God is just, that God is holy, that he is sovereign, and that he is the creator of all things. And he created all things to glorify him. And that we glorify him when we humble ourselves before him and realize that we're sinners, deserving divine wrath and judgment, and we repent and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I want to know you. I want to know your great love. I want to walk with you. I want to I want to, I believe that you love me that much, that you came and became a man, that you went to a cross and that you made a provision. You took my sin upon your own back. Uh, God, if you love me that much, I want to know you. And we can be born again just simply by understanding God's great love for us in Jesus Christ. We can be born again and become sons and daughters of God. And the moment that we do... He transforms us from the inside. Our hearts are now moved by his love. His spirit now dwells in us. And we begin to transform and learn his ways. And when we do, our lives glorify God. That is the purpose. We are uh, uh, to glorify God with our life. And the problem that mankind has today is that God is so merciful. God is so long-suffering. God is so gracious and patient with us that we get confused and we think that God doesn't judge sin, that God just is merely there to help us when we need him. And like a teddy bear that we don't really want to carry around with us, we can throw it under the bed until we need him. Nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't exist for our glory, we exist for God's glory. And last week we saw God made that very clear. Chapter six, verse three, God said, My spirit will not always strive with man. Noah man has a hundred and twenty years left. And I am bringing judgment. And during this 120-year period, uh, I have a plan for you. I want you to proclaim salvation to the world. I want you to build an ark. I am judging the earth in 120 years. And I want you to know something. I want you maybe even write this down. The flood proves that God does indeed punish people for their sins. We like to think that he doesn't, right? Like he's this benevolent old grandpa that will just let anybody come into his house. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is a holy God and the flood proves that God does punish people for their sin. There comes a day when God says, that is enough, no further. My spirit will not always strive with man. There's a predetermined time. It is set and when that day comes, Your opportunity for salvation is over, and God's judgment will be upon you. The day came in Noah's day, and may I say, I personally believe the day is coming again very soon. Jesus came the first time, God came to the earth the first time as a humble servant to bring salvation. He is coming again the second time to the earth as a judging God to bring judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. And the flood tells us that uh, things will not go on as they always have forever. God does indeed punish people for their sins. Now, we know that there are scoffers, of course, who deny the empirical evidence of the flood that we will examine later today and also uh, next week. Uh, they, they, they deny the empirical evidence of the flood. And they also deny that God punishes sinners uh, or that God will ever judge the earth. Uh, they think, oh, I mean, God's not, God loves everyone. And God's not going to judge. If there is a God, he's not going to judge. If there is a God, he's going to love me just the way I am. And they even take his covenant, some do, of a rainbow and use it to parade their sin. And may I say something? They are mocking God. And God is not mocked the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. And they are, are, are heaping up judgment upon themselves if we just think God is this loving teddy bear that never judges sin. Nothing could be further from the truth. And these scoffers, they scoff, uh, but do not be deceived. God will punish sin, and the Bible makes that very clear. I have a passage I want to read with you in in, uh, 2 Peter. It's going to be on your screens, and it's going to be a longer passage. Can you hang hang with me? And can we read as a unified voice the passage? Uh, Here's why. I really want to hear God's word coming out of your mouth. It is good for us to proclaim God's word. Let's do that together. Uh, Peter says this. Read with me. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Let's break that down a little bit. Let's look at it. It says, know this first. Like, hey, hey, first and foremost, know this. There's going to be scoffers in the last days. And he's going to say, he tells us that they're walking according to what? Their own, their own lust. The own lust of their flesh. Their own sexual appetites. Their own materialistic desires. Their own uh, carnal, selfish I want to be amazing. I want to be famous. I want to tell everybody how uh, glorious I am. I want an Instagram shrine of myself. Uh, That's our sin nature. We're walking according to our own lust. And they say, oh, come on. God's not coming back. That is so old school. I've heard that my whole life. Uh, I've heard that since the days of George Washington. Not going to happen, right? Uh, Where is the promise of his coming? Let's go on. Let's read the rest of the verse. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. Let's stop there for a second. This they what? Willfully forget It is clear to every man deep inside his heart because God is speaking in a myriad of ways. He's speaking through creation. He's speaking through our conscience. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking through the testimony of Christians that are on the earth. Oh, there's a myriad of ways. God is speaking to every individual and there is no individual on earth who has never heard about God according to the Bible everyone will be accountable based on the revelation God has given. And here's what it says. It says that they willfully forget. Paul would write the same thing in Romans. He said, because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God would give them over to a reprobate mind that they would start committing incredibly sinful acts of sexual nature. Uh, Uh, Why? Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Peter says it this way, they willfully forget. And what do they willfully forget? That uh, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. What does that mean, the heavens? He's not talking about heaven where you're going to go to when you die. He's talking about what? The universe. By this, they willfully forget that the universe was created by the word of God. We looked at it when we began this study in Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created time, space, and matter. He is outside of all three, time, space, and matter, and the Bible's cosmogony, the Bible's origin of the universe, is superior to any other because only the Bible has one that is outside of the three elements, time, space, and matter, that had to come into existence at one time. They're a continuum. You can't have time without space. You can't have matter without space. Uh, If you had matter without space, without time, when would you have matter, right? You need, they all three have to come into existence and only the Bible's cosmogony has that. And the Bible says, this they willingly forget, that the heavens, the universe, was created by the word of God. Not only that, read with me again. And the earth, standing out of water and in the water, By the word of God. Yeah, we read that in Genesis. God made the earth and the whole thing was underwater. And then he said, let dry land appear. And dry land appeared to begin to stand out of the water, right? And now verse 6, read with me. And by the word of God, the world that then existed perished, being flooded by water. What is he referring to here, Peter? Noah's flood. Peter believed in a literal global flood of Noah, as did Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jesus, and others, right? All spoke of a literal global flood. Uh, Let's go on. Let's read the rest of this verse. The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word of God, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Uh, Did you catch that? Did you see it? The heavens, that's the universe, and the earth are now preserved by what? The word of God. God's word is what is keeping the universe working perfectly, moving systematically, every law of the universe, all the uh, the, the, the uh, speed of light, the uh, the law of entropy, uh, the gravitational pull—all of it being held together by the word of God. It's preserved by the same word and is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What's that? Yeah, God is going to bring judgment on the earth again. Just as he did in the days of Noah, judgment is coming again. Let's read the rest of the verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that that all should come to repentance. Let's take the big picture here. He's saying, listen, the Lord is not slack. As if he's not going to bring judgment on the earth. And you might say, oh yeah, I've been hearing that forever. I mean, even my great-grandma said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but he's long-suffering. Why? He's really patient. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. In the days of Noah, he said, hey, you've got 120 years. And Noah preached for 120 years. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance, what is repentance? Repentance is, whoa, realizing I'm not the God of this universe. And I'm accountable to the God of this universe. And I'm sinful and selfish. And I've rebelled against the creator of the universe. And I need to get right with him. And he has made a provision for that to happen through Jesus. And anyone can come once they realize that position. It's called repentance. And we say, God, save me. Jesus, save me. I need help. And yeah, that's what he's wanting. That's why he hasn't brought judgment yet. Wanting that all should come to repentance. Let's go on the rest of the verse. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Wow. The Lord is coming. He's not slack concerning his promises. He is going to come. He came the first time as a suffering servant. He will come again, and he will bring judgment on this earth. And the heavens will pass away, the great noise. Look, it says that they'll actually melt with a fervent heat. Uh, we've learned this through atomic warfare, right? That uh, uh, the whole thing can be just consumed. And actually, all of the, all of the universe and the earth is going to be completely uh, burned up. Uh, let's go on. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Uh, Yeah, he says, listen, uh, we know that this earth is temporary, that this universe is temporary. And it'll be folded up like a scroll, Isaiah says. It'll be just compacted into nothing. It'll be disintegrated. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, world without end. And knowing this, that God is a just God who brings judgment... How should we be living our lives, right? How should we uh, even hastening the day of the Lord? What does that mean? Preparing for, getting ourselves ready for uh, the day of the Lord. And so this is, uh, this is who God is. God does judge people for their sin. And that is a foreign concept in our generation. And God did judge the earth for its wickedness with a global flood. And this is the story that we're looking at today. And I'm so thankful that as we look at this story, we realize that God is merciful and that He was not done with man. He could have just said, Don't wipe them all out. But He didn't. And do you know why? Here's why because God made a promise to eve he said eve the messiah is going to come through your lineage and he had not come yet at the time of this wickedness on the earth and uh, the earth is about 1600 years old now man's been on the earth for 1600 years at at this time and even though the earth is very wicked there's been a lot of men who had a relationship with god and those men could not be saved if the Messiah didn't come. And so God says, I'm not going to wipe the earth out completely. I'm going to keep my promise and I'm going to bring my Messiah through, uh, through man, through Noah. And so uh, here is the story of God's judgment on the earth. Verse 14. Are you there with me? He tells Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Uh, the word rooms, interestingly enough, in the Hebrew is make nest in the ark. Uh, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Uh, circle the word pitch for me, if you will. Uh, the word pitch in the Hebrew is an interesting word. It's the word kofar. Everybody say kofar. kofar. You're speaking Hebrew. You can say, I spoke in tongues today at the Mission Church. Uh, kofar. Kofar. Uh, kofar is used, I wrote it down 100, I can't see my small writing. Uh, it's used 102 times in the Bible. 71 of those times, it's translated atonement. Its most common translation is atonement. The only time that is ever translated pitch is this one time here in this, in this example. And what is really interesting is atonement. Is what Jesus' Jesus's blood provided. The ark is a picture of our salvation in Christ. Cover the ark in atonement. Inside and outside. Normally you'd say cover the outside of the thing right in pitch. He said cover the inside and the outside in atonement. Uh, this is a picture of the saving grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, now. Very interesting also, if the Ark is covered in pitch on the inside and the outside, that would give it amazing preservation capabilities, as no oxygen would be able to get to the wood because it was covered in pitch. We're going to learn in just a bit that the Ark landed on the mountains of Ararat. The mountains of Ararat are 17,000 feet high, and they are covered with snow continually. And this is just my conjecture. I don't know, but I think it's worth considering. I believe that after the rapture of the church, the Ark of Noah will probably be uncovered by God. And it will serve as a mute testimony to a Christ rejecting world during the tribulation period that judgment is coming. I believe God preserved it for this purpose. Now, that's conjecture. It's worth not much, right? That's just my opinion. But wouldn't that be amazing if after the rapture of the church and global warming, as the tribulation period clearly talks about very bizarre weather patterns that are coming, that which we're already leaving, you know, I don't have to tell you that, right? we were already getting there. Uh, wouldn't it be really awesome if God revealed the ark just as a way to say hey pay attention he who has an ear let him hear right um I'd like to talk to you more about that wish we could (laughs) um covered inside and outside with pitch verse 15 and this is how you shall make it the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits it's width 50 cubits And its height, 30 cubits. A cubit, by the way, is a a, a span of measurement that was used by a lot of ancient civilizations. The Babylonians used a cubit for measuring. It's the span between your elbow and the tip of your finger. A standard cubit was 18 point something inches. Uh, they also had a long cubit for guys who are taller, you know, uh, uh, and that was 20.4 inches. I'm off of memory. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but about, right? Uh, for big building projects, they would always use the long cubit. Uh, right now, let's use the the short cubit just because it's easier to, to see, uh, to do the math on. If a cubit is 18 inches, that's exactly one and a half feet, right? So he says, make the length of the ark 300 cubits. A short cubit would be 450 feet. That is a stinking big honkin' ark. That's a football field and a half. If they used a long cubit, it would be 510 feet. I mean, massive, right? Uh, uh, and uh, uh, then the, its width will be... 50 cubits, or 75 feet with a short cubit, or 85 feet wide with a long cubit. And its height, 30 cubits. Uh, so that would be 45 feet tall with a short cubit, or 51 feet tall. Uh, massive, massive. Uh, in Kentucky, there's a, uh, an amusement park uh, that Ken Ham put together, a creationist. Uh, uh, it's called the Ark Encounter. And he made this ark according to scale. Here's a picture of it. Take a look at this thing. Thing is massive. Massive. That is made exactly to scale. I want you to look at the bottom right-hand corner. Look how tiny people are compared to that ark. This thing is massive, right? And here's what he says. Verse 16. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it a cubit from above. Uh, So this window goes to the, the length of the ark and it would allow ventilation to come in for all the life and set the door of the ark in its side. One door in the entire ark. By the way, one way to be saved in God's kingdom. One door. Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Or no one can be saved except through me. Why aren't there many ways to be saved? Here's why. No one else died for your sins. There's no other provision made for sin. And you can't come to God without a provision, without atonement. Without atonement, you can't come to God. And so, one door for the ark. Uh, a picture of Jesus. Um, and set the door and the ark on its side, and look at this. You shall make it, that's the ark, with a lower, a second, and a third deck. So on this ark, there are three different stories, three different decks. If you had them equally spaced, the smallest roof height would be a vaulted ceiling of 15 feet tall. Uh, Could be even higher if we use the longer cubit. You could have a 20-foot tall roof. By the way, an adult giraffe just happens to be 15, 16 feet tall, right? Uh, So uh, here, make it with three decks. Uh, Verse 17, and behold, I myself, God speaking, will bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. Does that sound local or does that sound global? Just by the words. The narrative is definitely a global flood. And we'll look at this more in, uh, in the weeks to come. Um, uh, everything on earth shall die. But look at verse 18. I love 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. And you shall go into the ark. You Your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. Oh, I love that. Noah, I've made a new covenant with you. In verse 8 of chapter 6, we found, we read these words last week. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a sinner. Noah wasn't saved because he was a righteous, super righteous man, a holy man. He wasn't. He was as sinful as could be. As a matter of fact, we're going to see not even one chapter, the same chapter that he gets off the ark. He gets drunk, right? Uh, He's not a perfect guy. But he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God makes a new covenant with him. And in this new covenant, he has favor from God. And can I share something with you? If you are in Jesus Christ... You have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You have a new covenant. Jesus said, this is a new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of your sins. And that's what he is telling Noah here. He says, I'm establishing a new covenant with you. Uh, This covenant, the the, uh, uh, Noahic covenant he's gonna make with him. Uh, We'll look at that uh, in the weeks to come. Verse 19, and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring. Two of every sort into the ark. To keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. This isn't complex. They shall be male and female. (laughs) So they can reproduce. So they can mate. So they can, as God designed, life to be. Right? Uh, Very simple. And look what he says, verse 20. "Of Of the birds... After their kind. Underline those words, after the kind. Of the animals, after their kind. And of every creeping thing of the earth, all the reptiles and all the creepy things, after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. These words, after their kind, do you remember, for those of you who have been with us in the study, where did we hear those? In creation. When God made... Every tree, he said, it'll have a seed in it to reproduce after its kind. And when he made animals, he said they will reproduce after their kind. And when he made man, you will reproduce after its kind. That word is used repeatedly in the creation account, and it means that there will be no species That crosses from one species to another species. It will never happen. It never has happened. And there is no archaeological evidence of it ever happening. Every species always produces after its kind. You can get a small change, variation in the species. You can breed two dogs together uh, that are... Uh, specially chosen, you pick two small ones and you can get a small dog, but it's still what? A still a dog. And uh, here, uh, God says, listen, take two of each one, uh, of each one, uh, each species, after its kind. And um, uh, it has still been that way ever since. We reproduce according to uh, its kind. Um, and notice what he says. Uh, verse, the end of verse 20. Uh, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Uh, how did Noah get all the animals to come into the ark? Answer, he didn't. God brought them into the ark. God God did that. God chose which animals. And it wasn't two of every kind of dog. It was two of the species. And, uh, you know, uh, you can... Make a lot of mutts out of a a few different dogs. So uh, God brought them in. So interesting to me, uh, God calls all the animals into the ark and they come. For 120 years, God calls man into the ark and not one came. Shows the wretchedness of man at this stage. Verse 21, and you shall take for yourself all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Yes, talk up, Noah. Uh, Fill that ark with food. Uh, It's going to be a while. Verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Circle that verse. Make it your life verse. It's really simple. Noah did what God told him to do. I love the fact that there's no, Noah doesn't talk in this whole thing. And what we read is Noah did what God told him to do. And that's what makes a great man of God. You just believe God's word and you walk it out. Um, So awesome to see. Here we see some things as we look through this. We saw the, the, this massive size of the ark. And can I share something with you? The dimensions of this ark are quite advanced. As a matter of fact, they parallel our modern day cargo ships. Very unusual for an ancient writing to have this kind of advanced... Uh, dimensions for a, for an arc, and it has been proven hydronamically that the arc would be virtually impossible with these measurements to capsize, and that the arc would be amazingly stable in incredibly turbulent seas with this kind of draft ratio. Uh, it would be, you know, just really well designed. As a matter of fact, with all of our technology today, our giant cargo ships still have a similar ratio in, uh, uh, in the shipbuilding that we have today. Um, really cool to see. Uh, you would ask, uh, people would ask, scoffers would say, oh, come on, you expect me to believe that story? So crazy. Uh, how would all the animals fit on an ark? That is just ridiculous. Well, let me just remind you, this thing is huge. Uh, Put that picture back up for me. Uh, Put that second picture up too, if you will. Look at the size of this thing. This thing is huge. It is about the size of a football stadium. Think of that. If you ever go see a stadium, that's about the size of this thing. Uh, It has three levels in it. Uh, Massive. Um, The ark is big enough to contain 522 railroad boxcars. I want you to imagine yourself on a street, and you just happen to be the first car right when that little thing goes ding, 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 comes down. Don't you hate that? And you watched 30 boxcars go by. Imagine watching a train with 522 boxcars go by. You've never seen one that long, right? You'd be there for hours. Uh, And that is how all of those would fit on the ark. What's fascinating is today uh, we put sheep in those boxcars to transport them, to sell them, to uh, shear them, and all those things. And 124 sheep will fit in one boxcar And then they put a second layer in it, and they put another 124 on top of it. So they put 248 sheep in one boxcar. And 522 boxcars would fit on Noah's Ark. That is a lot of animals. As a matter of fact, I did the math. That is 130,000 sheep-sized animals. Uh, There is a... uh, 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 a great uh, uh, scholar, uh, a, a doctor, uh, a, a creationist, uh, and he's done a lot of research on the flood. His name is Henry Morris, Dr. Henry Morris. And if you ever read any of his work, it's really good. He's dead now, but uh, he, uh, really good work. Uh, anyway, he has a quote I'd like to give you. It's on the screens. Um, let me hear you read this. The ark could have carried as many as 125,000 sheep-sized animals. I think he's wrong. I think it's 130,000. I did the math myself. (laughs) I'm just joking. I'm joking. Since there are not more than about 25,000 species of land animals known, that is mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians, either living or extinct. Uh, Let's stop there and say, Twenty-five thousand. You say that's not right. I learned there were millions of species of animals. Well, there are, if you count insects. But of animals that are reptiles and birds and invertebrates and, and 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 uh, uh, you know those kind of things, there's only about there's less than twenty-five thousand species, including dinosaurs. Uh, so interesting. Uh, let's go on. Oh, wait, go back. I'm sorry. Look how good she is on slides. My goodness. Uh, Either living or extinct, since the average size of such animals is certainly much less than that of a sheep, it is obvious that all the animals could have easily been stored in less than half the capacity of Noah's Ark. Each pair inappropriate rooms. Uh, here's a guy who devoted his life to studying the flood, and these were his he's a doctor, he's a PhD, and these were his uh, his words. Uh, so the ark, all that to say, would have more than enough room to, to put all the animals on it. Uh, God designed the ark. God could have easily said, make it this many cubits if it needed to be bigger. God knew what he was doing, and he made it the right size. God is not the author of confusion. Uh, Secondly, I want you to consider this. The ark was 120 years in the making. And 2 Peter would tell us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was telling people, hey, God loves you. And God wants to save you from this perverse world. God is bringing judgment. And for 120 years, Noah was building this ark. Do you think he endured any hardship along the way? In a world that was this wicked? Uh, I am sure that Noah took a lot of flack for his faith. And church, I want you to consider something because we are living in a similar time as Noah when the earth is incredibly perverse. And I want to be uh, just mindful of this fact that Noah proclaimed God's truth in a hostile culture, and so should we. Noah stood firm in a hostile culture, and so should we. Noah did not capitulate to peer pressure and to modern world views. He held fast to God's word, and so should we. And he endured with a lot of hardship the ridicule that came upon him. The ark was huge. Noah could not hide it. And I can imagine the ridicule that he might have faced. Ha! Ah, look at this old man. What are you doing? Building a boat in the middle of the desert. There's no ocean here. What are you, an idiot? And rotten tomatoes. You know, eggs on the side of the ark. I mean, all the cursing, all the the jeering, all of you actually believe, are you kidding me? Do you think Noah endured some hardship? Noah didn't have a single convert. And it shows how corrupt the earth is. And yet he kept proclaiming the gospel. He kept leading his family. He kept doing his work and he left the rest up to God. Men, I want you to know, hold your post as a spiritual leader. Lead your family first. Do the work that God's called you to do and proclaim the gospel to all who are here and leave the results up to God. This is what Noah did and it's admirable. It's really admirable. Uh... uh, Do you think Noah ever got discouraged? Do you think that he ever felt like quitting? Do you think his faith ever got shaken? Oh, for sure. Do you think that the masses, the sway of the masses, the sway of social media ever kind of just got to Noah and made him question his beliefs a little bit? Oh, I'm sure it did. Do you think Noah's sons ever came to him after working on this ark now for 70 years going, Dad, I just got hit with another tomato. Are you sure you heard from God? <laughs> Are you sure, Dad? Son, I'm sure. Keep your faith. And no doubt Noah would go into his prayer closet and go, Lord, am I on the right track? Did I hear from you? And Noah kept the faith. Uh, may we stand. We are living in a day that is going to be becoming increasingly hostile to God. May we be men and women of prayer. Uh, may we come to the National Day of Prayer. May we actually take reading God's word seriously and prayer seriously. Uh, I am sure that Noah grew weary at times. But nevertheless, he kept the faith and he was vindicated by God. Do you know that Noah is in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Noah, Noah was vindicated by God. Uh, look what uh, 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 Hebrews 11 says of him. Let me hear you read out loud. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, God's judgment on the earth, in other words, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He was a good spiritual leader. By which he condemned the world... And became the heir of righteousness, which is according to one word, which is according to faith. faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, you can really please God. And you can stand firm in a perverse world. Noah did it. He's a great example to us. I am thankful that Noah had some fellowship in his life. We read last week that there was a man named Methuselah. His name means he was the son of Enoch. Enoch was a prophet of God. And Enoch named his son Methuselah because it was a message to the world. And his name means when he dies, the judgment shall come. When he dies, it shall come. What was it? The judgment that Enoch was teaching about. And so we know that Enoch, we did the math last week. If you missed it, you can go back and look at it. It's phenomenal to consider. The year that Enoch died, maybe even the day, The flood came. And so what does that mean? That means Enoch was there the whole time Noah was building the ark, probably helping Noah build it. Really cool. Really cool. What else do we know? We know that Lamech, Noah's dad, lived up until five years before the flood. He died five years before the flood, which means that Lamech was there helping his son, working with his grandsons, building this ark. How cool would that be? By the way, very cool to consider, if you go back and look at the chart we put on there last week, go back and watch if you missed it, you can do the math. Lamech lived 51 years with Adam. Isn't that crazy? Noah's dad lived 51 years with Adam. Noah's dad talked with Adam and could hear the story of creation firsthand from Adam. And he passed that on to Noah. There's not a big gap here, right? I mean, this is the this is the Word of God, preserved, right? And so, uh, 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 cool that uh, you know uh, Noah had this fellowship, right? Uh, and these men helping him. Um, chapter seven. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> that time. Uh, You know, I don't even know why I prepare. I should just come up here and just stand up here. I never get through what I prepare. Uh, Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, again, we've already covered that. It wasn't that he was right, he believed God, and that's what made him right with God, right? And I want you to notice something really powerful here. What did God just say to Noah? What did he say? No, before that, what did he say? The Lord said to Noah, read it with me. The Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. I love this. God did not say go into the ark. He said come into the ark. As if the Lord was inside the ark. When I am at my house and someone comes knocking at the door, guess what I say? Come in. Come in. If someone is at my door and I'm not at home and they call me and they say, Hey, I'm at your door, I say, Go on in. God here says, Noah, come into the ark. I am here. I want you to know something. Salvation is not something you go get, salvation is someone you come to. Do you understand? Come into the ark with me, Noah. I'm going to save you. Jesus says, come to me. I'm going to save you. Right? He calls us to himself. I love that. Um, Verse 2. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal. So there weren't just two of each animals. There were seven of the clean animal. A clean animal is an animal that you can eat and an animal that you can offer as a sacrifice to God. He's preparing uh, Noah to say, hey, listen, I want you to to sacrifice to me, and I want you to have food. And and, uh, take seven of every clean animal, a male and a female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and a female, and seven each of birds of the air, Uh, and make a a male and a female to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did, according to all the Lord commanded him. There it is again. Uh, Very interesting, by the way. Uh, 40 days, he tells him. And I find that very merciful of God. Very merciful. Forty days and forty nights it will rain on the earth. Forty, by the way, in the Bible, the number of testing. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. How long? Forty days he was tested and he came out spotless. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness forty years. And they came out not so spotless, right? Uh, 40, the number of testing. And here God bringing judgment on the earth. uh, And he says it's going to rain 40 days. And I find it very merciful of God to give that number because when you know how long something is, you have a way better uh, ability to endure it. Imagine being in the ark and not knowing how long it was going to rain and how long the floods of the fountains of the. The deep are going to be broken up and you're like it's day 30 and it's still raining and you're like how much longer you like, I don't know honey it could be another 10 years man um <laughs> knowing 40 days would be really helpful to enduring uh, what he you know what he had to endure um Look what he says. I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things. This was a global flood. Verse 5, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. I love that. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came. Very specific dates. And Noah with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of the clean animals and the animals that are unclean, of the birds and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah male and female, as God commanded Noah. And if you jump down to verse, uh, the end of verse 16, it says, the Lord shut him in. Noah goes in, his sons go in, their wives go in, all the animals go in, and the Lord shuts the door. Back to verse 10. And it came to pass that after seven days that the waters of the earth excuse me, the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day, it doesn't sound mythological, it sounds very literal. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. We're gonna look at this more next week. We're gonna learn there were radical shifts in the earth at this time the tectonic plates began to move and the earth was one continent and the earth was broken up and the fountains of the deep were opened up and we'll explore this in depth next week Uh, uh, the, the 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 flood did not happen from just the rain the fountains of the earth broke up we read in genesis in the garden of eden there was a riverhead that was so massive Uh, out of Eden, that it turned into four rivers, one of them being the Euphrates, one of them being the Tigris. I mean, that's a big, massive waterhead. That tells us that there's a lot of water under the earth. And uh, next week, we'll examine this all more. I want to bring you to a closing spot. Um, Verse uh, 17, let's jump down there. The flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased in the earth. Above the earth, the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. Over all the high hills, everything was covered. The waters prevailed uh, 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 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And then look at this, and all flesh died. All flesh died. I find it so gracious of God that God shut the door in the ark. And what's interesting is it tells us that when God shut the door of the ark, it didn't rain for another seven days. Why? Why? What do you think Noah was hearing when he was inside the ark for seven days and there was no rain? What do you think he was hearing? Old man, you're a fool! Where's the rain? Where's the floods? (laughs) Right? Mocking. They were probably selling beers, probably had popcorn machines, right? (laughs) Mocking, mocking, mocking. Why did God wait seven days? Their condemnation was just. They were sealing their own fate. And I want you to know those same mockers that were mocking Noah... When the rain began to come, and the floods opened up, and the waters began to rise rapidly, those same mockers, what do you think they were doing? Knocking, begging on the door, please let us in. And here's what we need to understand. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He has offered a window of salvation. And when that door is closed, it is closed forever. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance. There is no nothing. You will face the judgment and the wrath of a living God. If you do not come into the ark of Jesus Christ, covered with atonement, to bring salvation to all. May we be wise. May we be wise. I'm gonna ask Kyle and the team to come back up. Let's close in prayer. And, and uh, uh, next week we'll uh, uh, look at the, the flood of Noah part two. Some fascinating stuff to consider. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with me. Uh, may we hold our post. We are, we are living in a corrupt world. May we be inspired by Noah. You can persevere, and you can stand for faith, and you can be a preacher of righteousness, and you can lead your family well, and you can do your job, and you can obey all that God has commanded you, and you can be vindicated by God, be saved by God, be transformed by God. Uh, this is his power. He's a mighty Savior. May we worship him. Why don't we stand together?